0: So, good afternoon, everyone. If you're strolling in right now, you failed your first army lesson. Because if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Yeah, right? Drop everybody? No, I won't, I won't, I won't punish you in that way. Yeah, it's funny. You could have a meeting at 2 o'clock, and if you arrive at 1.46, you get yelled at because you're not 15 minutes early. Talk about needing to be prompt. So I'll give you guys some uh, few lessons uh, as I do this talk about Army contextualization, and one is being 15 minutes early to everything. Uh, another thing I'm going to tell you is, is the affirmative response in the Army is a little different than the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, they say, Ura! But in the Army, they say, Hua! So everybody practice your Hua! Hua! There you go. Okay, you're going to use that Hua when you are in agreement with me, okay? So I encourage you, use your hua today. But um, I'm gonna pray for us. And uh, just so you know, the way this is gonna be structured is I'm gonna talk for about the first 15 to 20 minutes maybe. Uh, Hopefully I won't drown on too much longer than that. And uh, then I'll open up the floor for questions. So I encourage you just to come up to the microphone uh, to ask whatever questions you have for me. And I'll answer them to the best of my ability. So uh, as we start, let's just pray and give this time to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we join the angels in their declaration right now. Lord, there's angels around your throne at this very moment speaking out. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So, Lord, I pray over this entire time, I pray your covering. Jesus, my prayer is simple. May I not be glorified? But Jesus, may you be glorified today. So God, may this just be a time of celebration where I can be reminded as I tell stories of your faithfulness. God, about what you did for me this past year. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it was my second day of active duty and uh, we were in Brockton, Massachusetts. And uh, that day we were traveling from Brockton to Fort Devens, Massachusetts. Some of you have probably heard of Fort Devens. It's actually where my grandfather was mobilized to go to Korea, to the Korean War. And so uh, we drove from Brockton to Fort Devens and uh, we got there that night and settled in. We were going to be at Devens for a few weeks before we headed out to the Middle East, and um, I remember praying that night, Lord, I have no idea what to expect, and God, I need your help in this ministry. So I'm praying this prayer, and uh, I go to bed that night, and I wake up the next morning, and I have 20 missed calls on my phone, all from my commander. This is the last thing you want as a chaplain, right? (laughs) Right? So I'm like, oh no, what's happened? So I call my commander and I say, you know, sir, what's the problem? What happened? And he goes, chaplain, just come to my office quick. And so I ran, literally ran across Fort Devons about a half mile from my barracks to his office. And I reported to him and I knocked on the door and he allowed me to enter. And uh, I was worried, I was like, sir, what happened? What's the problem? And what I noticed was the whole command team was gathered around and clearly nobody knew what to do. And he turns to me and he goes, chaplain, we had a soldier pass away last night. He died in a car accident on the way to Devon's to mobilize. And I'm like, okay, let's pray. So I pray with the command team and I'm like, we got to plan the memorial. We got to do all this. We got to be ready to honor this soldier. And they're like, yeah, but there's a problem, chaplain. And I'm like, what's the problem? His widow is in the next room with their two-year-old toddler and nobody knew what to say to them. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go talk to them. You know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So, you know, I open up this door and here's this 21-year-old widow with her two-year-old toddler. And in that moment, I thought to myself, Lord, I can't do this. God, there's no way I can do this without you. And that was the start of really fully surrendering my ministry and my life to God. I remember getting on my face that night and really declaring, Lord, I know I can't do this. I know I can't. And God, it was interesting, he answered me, he's like, yeah, you can't, but I can So just let me. And that was the start of my army ministry. That was how it began. And so the next months were really a process of me learning what it meant to fully surrender my life and my ministry to God. And what was interesting is as I surrendered my life and my ministry to God, he gave me a gift. He gave me a gift of mercy for everyone I came into contact with while I was deployed. Not only soldiers, but civilians, foreign nationals, all different kinds of people. So I'm gonna tell you just some stories about God's mercy that he gave me. He also gave me another gift. He allowed me to speak the truth to people in love. Now, oftentimes in the army, especially because I was a part of an active duty unit, soldiers are very afraid. They're afraid to challenge anyone in authority, even if that person in authority is totally off the rails. And they're afraid to do this because they're afraid they'll get a bad rating on their officer evaluation. And so I knew right away, God, I just need to trust. I need to trust you that you need me to speak the truth in love to people. And then finally, the last gift that God really gave me was that he allowed me to fully trust God. In him. And so let me just tell you a story, a few stories of God's mercy and how he kind of gave me mercy for people that I came into contact with. So uh, I flew from Fort Devens to Fort Hood. I was at Fort Hood for two weeks for pre-mobilization. And then we got on a plane and we flew to Camp Arif John Kuwait. So we're in Kuwait and we arrive in Kuwait in about in November. And um, by the way, Kuwait in November is still 120 degrees outside every day. Kuwait is burning hot. It's miserable, honestly. It's a straight desert. And actually, it's not dry heat. It's humid because it's right on the water. It's like the worst thing you can imagine. So you're soaked in sweat. You're miserable. And I find out my first week that I have a staff duty. As a chaplain, one of my roles every month is I'm assigned a week at the theater gateway. And the theater gateway is this gateway in which all soldiers that fly from the States to the Middle East, they all go through their in-processing in the theater gateway. And so it's funny because they arrive at this gateway and they've been traveling for 40 hours at this point, and they're totally jet-lagged and miserable, and they expect the chaplain to get up and do this briefing for these soldiers. So, like, it's the most miserable job ever, and the worst part about it is it was my staff duty, and I would get flights in the middle of the night. I would have to get up at 1 in the morning, at midnight, at 12, at 2 in the morning, and I would still have to work a full day the next day, so it would ruin my sleep schedule. So, one night, I uh, know that there's a flight coming in at 2 in the morning, and I'm already complaining to God. I'm like, God, this is miserable. Why are you waking me up in the middle of the night? You know, the the flights were never on time, first of all, so you would arrive at two. It wouldn't have come till four, but you just had to wait around. Uh, There's another phrase in the army, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. But anyway, I wake up at two in the morning and I'm miserable and I'm complaining to God. It's still 95 degrees out at two in the morning. And um, I'm walking to the gateway and I'm just praying, Lord, you know, God, just allow me to minister to these soldiers. You know, I'm exhausted, but Lord, just speak through me. And so, as I arrive at this gateway, I walk in and the soldiers are already seated. And there's about 300 people in this room. They're all jet lagged and miserable. And it's an infantry unit. And it's almost all men that are about 18 years old. And these kids are armed to the teeth. Multiple saw machine guns, these are heavy machine guns. Multiple sidearms. These guys are really carrying a lot of weaponry. And so I walk up to the commander and I start talking to this guy because he's another captain. And I'm like, oh, well, what's going on? You know, where are you going? And uh, he's like, yeah, we're going uh, to this middle of nowhere place in Afghanistan. This miserable place. And so I get up to do my briefing. And as I stand up in front of these soldiers, these 18-year-old men and women, it was incredible. I felt a surge of God's mercy for these kids just run over me. And my first thought was, God loves each and every one of these children more than I ever could. And also, most of them are going to return home either broken, emotionally or mentally or physically, and some of them are going to return home in body bags. And God, you've called me to minister to them. And then the thought went through my mind, how many soldiers have sat in this room who never made it back home? And how many soldiers have sat in this room that came back totally different? And in that moment, I stood up and I had my regular spiel to give the soldiers. I told them about what chaplains have to offer for you in theater, you know, confidential counseling and uh, religious services. And I felt like the Lord was just telling me to bless them. And so I got up and I gave my spiel and I blessed them. I prayed blessing and protection over each and every one. And it was so funny because the resounding response from all these young men and women, guess what it was? Hell yeah, chaplain. (laughs) And then they got up and walked out and left. But God, he gave me a gift in that moment and it was mercy for these young men and women. And what you start to realize is as you receive God's mercy, is not only does he deeply love you and deeply want to show you his mercy, but he deeply loves everybody else. And you're very connected, all of you. So just another story of God's mercy. Uh, I had some civilian workers that were foreign nationals that worked for our unit, and uh, they were from all over the place. A few of them were from India, some from Indonesia, but there was one female, young female from Sri Lanka. And while we were overseas, Sri Lanka experienced a major terrorist attack. All the churches on Easter Sunday were bombed, and her family was bombed. And so immediately I thought of this young lady, and I thought, I need to go make sure she's doing okay. You know, I want to go check on her. And I showed up and I arrive at the office and her boss is like, you don't even wanna go in there. You don't wanna go in the office because she's beside herself. And she is angry, super angry. So I'm like, oh Lord, like God, just give me, give me wisdom on how to approach this. So I finally, I wait a few minutes and then I knock on the door and uh, no answer. So I'm just like, I'm going in. So I open the door and I go in. And there's this young lady, she's about 23 and she's just weeping because she's lost family members in a church that was bombed. And I sat down to talk to her and she said this to me, she said, Chaplain, I am angry, I'm angry. And it was incredible because in this moment I just saw this young girl who desperately needed the comfort of God and of the Holy Spirit. And so in that moment we prayed and it was so cool, she was like, what what do I do? And so we opened up to Matthew chapter six and we read the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and how Jesus says, you need to pray for your enemies and forgive them. And by the end of our time, she was actually praying for the Christians in Sri Lanka to love the Islamic brothers and sisters that they had there. And it was an incredible just time from the Holy Spirit that I had with this young woman. And uh, there was multiple situations where God, he just showed up. And as you are present with people, you notice that God just shows up. I had another soldier. She was newly engaged right before we left for our deployment. And her her fiancé had given her this huge engagement ring that she was so proud of. And she loses her engagement ring. So her her boss, he calls me and he's like, Chaplain, I don't know what to do. She's losing her mind. And so... uh, so I show up at the office and it's so funny because their office was in this really random part of the base. It was in a tent and all everybody's outside the office. Nobody's even inside. Everybody left because she's inside going crazy and nobody wants to go in there. <laughs> and he's like, chaplain, I don't know what to do. You know, she's losing it. So I walk in and I go find this, this girl and uh, she is inconsolable. She is so angry at herself and she keeps saying the same statement, the same phrase about herself. She just says, I'm just a useless idiot. I'm just worthless. And what I saw in this moment was this little hurt girl, this young child who had probably been hurt at a young age and she kind of owned this lie. And so I said, you know, well, that's, you know, that's not true. let's just pray. Let's pray that God would find this ring and that he would give it back. Let's pray. And so she's like, I don't really want to pray, but, but I'll pray. Okay, chap, and I'll pray with you. So we pray together, and um, I leave, and she kind of has calmed down. And get this, three hours later, she goes to the MP office on the base. Somebody had turned in the ring, and she got her ring back. This was a clear answer to prayer, and guess, guess what? She surrendered her life to Christ while we were overseas. She did. And I think that that witness, just praying and having that answered prayer really led her to a place of faith. It was an incredible thing to see. But what I noticed is that as I continued to receive God's mercy, he continued to put people in my path who desperately needed it. So you guys probably know that I, you heard that I had traveled to a lot of different countries. Uh, so my base was in Kuwait, but I had soldiers in Afghanistan, Iraq, Iraq, Bahrain, Dubai, Qatar, all over the place. So as a chaplain, I was able to visit these guys and uh, go to all these places. So uh, I go to Afghanistan, and uh, my commander sits me down before I go to Afghanistan. He's like, I just want you to remember when the sirens go off, make sure you duck and cover. Make sure you duck and cover. And so he's warning me about all this stuff, giving me the whole pep talk. And um, by the way, getting to Afghanistan is like a four-hour flight from Kuwait, and it's in a miserable C-17 with these horrible, uncomfortable seats. And uh, when we got there, we did what's called a combat landing, where the plane cuts hard one way and hard the other way and just drops. I didn't know they were going to do this. My assistant didn't warn me about that. So that was the surprise he had in store for me. Um, But we land in Afghanistan, and it's pitch black out. And uh, the sun is coming up. And uh, we're sitting in this building getting the in brief about, what, you know, kind of what to expect. And I notice somebody opens the door. And out the door, I see these mountains that look fake. They are so tall. They're the biggest mountains I've ever seen in my life. And so I'm like, I got to go look at this. My, my, my assistant had been to Afghanistan a bunch of times before me. So I go outside. I open up the door. And there around the base, 360 degrees around the base of Bagram are 20,000 foot mountains and they're all snow covered. And so it was crazy. It was like in that moment, I was like, God, I just have to praise you. I have to worship you. And it's weird. It's like in that part of Afghanistan, you can't help but praise God. You really can't because you can see his majesty. So one day I'm up early, I'm reading my Bible outside and uh, I'm just praising God in Afghanistan and a security guard walks up to me, not an American. And this security guard is from Uganda. Now it turns out that the Americans have fired all the Afghanis. They got rid of all the Afghanis because all the issues and they hired all Ugandans. And most of these Ugandans are Christians. So I'm sitting there reading my Bible outside and this Ugandan security guard, he walks up to me and he goes, do you have any extra Bibles? Like in perfect English. And I'm like, of course I do. So I give this guy a Bible and we start talking and um, he just tells me his story that he's been in Afghanistan for three years and he's going to be there for probably at least 10 more. And they stay there to send money back to their families. That's what they do. And this guy was a solid Christian. And in this moment, I was able to really minister to this guy and pray blessing over this Ugandan in Afghanistan. Only God could do these things, right? So weird, a kind of incredible, how God sets up these holy moments. Um, Another part of my job also as a chaplain, uh, if you ever hear about the chaplain corps, the three core competencies of the corps are to uh, nurture the living, care for the wounded, and honor the fallen. So those are the core competencies of the chaplain corps. So one of my jobs was uh, to do death notifications as well. So when somebody died back home, uh, we would have to go tell the soldier that so-and-so has passed away. And so um, my first few months, we did a ton of these. I probably did over 30 of these notifications in the first few months. And it was incredible because in these moments that you tell someone a family member has passed away, these are holy moments. They really are. Just one story. We had a young female soldier who was actually, she's from New Haven. Totally not Christian, totally not religious. And um, she had had a bad experience in the church as a child. Um, She identified as a lesbian soldier, as a lesbian uh, woman. And so I found out that her mom had died. And she didn't know. Because sometimes the Red Cross will tell you, soldier already knows. But this time I knew she didn't know. So I show up with my commander to talk to this girl. And um, my commander, he's an engineer. Worst bedside manner ever. He just walks up to her. He's like, your mom's dead. And then then this girl just loses it. She loses it. And so I walked up to her and I just held out my arms like this. And she just walked toward me and let me hold her as she wept, as she wept. And actually from that point on, it was quite incredible. She came to every Bible study I put on. And actually, she made a declaration, a rededication of her life to Christ by the time I had left. But it was just incredible moments like that that you know God could only orchestrate. Only God could do this stuff. Uh, So talking about speaking the truth uh, in love, part of the chaplain's job is to kind of challenge the commander, So you're special staff, so you have a special relationship with the commander. Everybody else has their chain of command, but the chaplain and the lawyer, the JAG, they both have an open door to the commander. They're directly uh, in relationship. And so uh, I would have to challenge some of my commanders. I had about 30 different commanders, so a lot of different guys. Uh, But just one story, Uh, we would have our brigade command and staff meetings every week, and um, One week, my commander shows up and he's this active duty Southern guy, really intense. And he's super angry this week. So he walks into the meeting room and the nameplates are messed up on the table. The nameplates are messed up on the table. And he notices it immediately. And he just goes off on everybody. And he goes, we're gonna start this meeting all over again. I'm gonna walk out and we'll act like this never happened. And I'll give you guys to get your whatever together. (laughs) And I'll come back in and we'll start. So we fix the nameplates. Everybody's freaking out. And he comes back in and he's still angry. And it's funny because the commander has his opening comments. And then who's right after him? The chaplain. The chaplain has to talk right after the commander. So he's blasting people around this conference table, just destroying people. And um, I get up there and my word of the day is from it's a it's an ancient korean proverb and it's this it's even a fish would stay out of trouble if it kept its mouth shut and then and then wait you think this is bad proverbs 17:28 was my next word even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when his lips are closed he is deemed intelligent that was my word of the day <laughs> And everybody, when I got up there and I said that, they all looked at me. And then they looked at him because they weren't sure what he was going to do. And it's like the beautiful thing about being a chaplain is if the commander yells at the chaplain, everybody will hate him and he knows it. You can't be mean to the chaplain. And it was crazy because his countenance totally changed in the meeting. He was quiet, he wasn't angry. And so actually, the next day, I got an email from him. And all the email said was, I need you to come to my office immediately. And so I'm like, oh no. So I arrive at his office and uh, it's funny, I'm sitting outside with his assistant and his assistant's like, why are you here? And I'm like, well, this was my word of the day yesterday and he just goes like this, oh no. (laughs) And so I'm waiting for him to be done on a phone call and I go in and I'm expecting this guy to absolutely destroy me. And this is what he says. He says, chaplain, I have an anger problem. And my marriage is falling apart because of it. And then I took him to James chapter two, and we talked about how the anger of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. And I was able to minister to this guy. And it was incredible because the staff, they hated it when I traveled because they were like, in the meetings, he's totally different when you're here. <laughs> when I left, he was way worse. They're like, don't go. <laughs> Now, within that, that was speaking the truth to power that worked out well, but I had another situation where I went to another commander and I challenged him. He was a married man and he was hanging out with a female soldier a lot. And I said to him, this is a bad idea. You don't want to do this. And it did not go my way. He totally wrecked me and get this, he never spoke to me again. And he totally maligned me to all his soldiers. And so this is just a word of truth. When you speak the truth to people, it can go one of two ways. Sometimes they'll receive it and sometimes they won't. But I'm still glad that I was able to minister to him in that way. And so this is kind of my operating assumption as a pastor and as a chaplain, and it's God loves people and he desires for them to come into repentance. That's his desire. And I know that whenever I speak with someone. And so if I need to challenge somebody, I feel the freedom in doing that because I know it's God's desire for them to turn from evil and to repent towards him. So finally, I'll open up the floor for uh, questions in a moment. Uh, The last, my last uh, really thing that I learned was that I learned to have a deeper trust in God. Now, I love what soldiers do well. Soldiers have an eternal mindset because when death is always knocking, knocking at the door, it makes you think about eternity a lot more. Now, oftentimes when soldiers get back, you see them act out in a negative way because of this eternal mindset. They live each day like their last, and they go thrill-seeking, and they ride motorcycles, and they do this crazy stuff. But there's actually another, a Christ-centered way that you can have this eternal mindset where it really kind of roots you more deeply in trust in the Father. And so, the weird thing about Afghanistan is that Afghanistan, the bases always get rocketed and mortared. And the rockets and the mortars, the people that fire them, they never aim them. It's totally random. It's totally random. So you never know where they're going to hit. And by the time the sirens go off, you can't get to a hardened structure, to a bunker. It's too late at that point. And so you kind of come to this place of acceptance. And it's funny, the soldiers in Afghanistan, if you talk to them, they're like, if it has my name on it, it has my name on it, and it's my time. And that sounds a little bit morbid, but actually there's a sense of trust that comes with that, with knowing that, God, you're sovereign, and I know you'll protect me, but maybe that protection means that my time is now. And you come to this place of acceptance. And uh, one of the verses that really stood out to me that I really prayed into while I was gone was just Psalm chapter four, verse eight. And it says this, the psalmist says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And just one story, my first night in Afghanistan, the sirens go off and I'm freaking out because I've never experienced this before. (laughs) And so I turn to my assistant, he's not even awake, and I wake him up, I'm like, what do we do? And he goes, welcome to Afghanistan. (laughs) And then he rolls back over and goes to sleep. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I guess I just need to trust you. And so those are just a few stories of really what God did in my life while I was away. I wanna open up the floor, though, for questions from you. If you have any specific questions about my ministry or kind of just what God did. But yeah, so not everybody ask it once. (laughs) Yeah, Bob, you can come up. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to shout. I would would imagine that one of the most difficult uh, things for you to deal with in terms of soldiers Mm -hmm. is to deal with their killing other people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that and how you prepare them. And Mm -hmm. again, particularly as Christian soldiers, Mm -hmm. how would that uh, work itself out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, Bob. Great question. So there are a few texts in Scripture that really describe this act of war, this act of killing. And the Bible differentiates, right, between murder and killing. There's a differentiation Right? In the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shall not murder. But then in Proverbs, it says there's a time for war. And there's a time for killing, right? And so my soldiers, when they came to me, a big part of my job was for them to recognize that if you take a life, you're no longer the same. And that's okay. You just accept it. And really, I would walk them through the story of David because David is this man after God's own heart who killed a lot of people, a lot of people. I mean, it's all through scripture. He's constantly warring with people, you know? How could this guy kill so many people and still be a man after God's own heart? And what I find very interesting about David is that God loved him, and he's declared this man after God's own heart. However, there's an innocence that is removed from David. You see, he goes to build the temple, and God's like, you can't do that. You can't do it. Your son will do it because he won't kill people. He won't have blood on his hands. But you, you can't do it. And so I think you can be a man after God's own heart and be changed by war. I think the problem is a lot of soldiers, they don't want to change. They don't want to admit that an innocence has been taken away. And so a lot of my counseling with soldiers was just walking them through, what does it look like now? Because life is different. You know, I had a soldier joke with me all the time. He actually got a bronze star and it would come out in joking because he shot a guy in Afghanistan. This guy was trying to get on the base and this soldier shot him. And uh, (laughs) he would tell the story to his uh, daughter's boyfriends. He would say, Uh, I'll shoot you. And by the way, you're not the first person I'll be shooting, just so you know. So they would know his threats were clear. But I talked to this guy and it was interesting because he felt a lot of regret attached to that moment. And what they'll tell you when you study PTSD is that those who have to fire weapons in anger have much more PTSD than those who don't. So the act of being fired upon is a lot less detrimental to us as humans than the act of firing and return. And so part of the issue is that I as a chaplain was a non-combatant, so I never fired a shot in anger. But my soldiers did. And so a lot of it was just walking them through that acceptance, though, that you can be a man after God's own heart, even though you have taken a life, you know. So, I don't know if that answers your question, Bob, but yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Um, I was just wondering can you mention Jesus and are there certain political correctnesses that you have to deal with? Yeah, so that is a big topic in the Army Chaplain Corps. And that's part of the reason why I'm not an active duty chaplain, because I feel like the active duty chaplains are much more restricted, because they're much more afraid to speak something about Jesus and get in trouble for it. But really the way it works in the army is it's structured like this. You have two types of events. You have mandatory events that all soldiers need to be at and you have optional events that soldiers choose to be at. So whenever you have a mandatory event, so for example, a mandatory event would be um, a change of command ceremony or something like that. Whenever you have a mandatory event, you're not allowed to evangelize or proselytize from the pulpit. But when you have an optional event that soldiers can choose to come to, you can say whatever you want. And so uh, there's also this also works with counseling too. If a soldier comes to you for counsel, then uh, you are going to tell them about Jesus. Like I had a soldier who was Islamic and he was fasting during Ramadan And he was struggling a lot and he came to me for counsel and he knew that I was going to tell him about Jesus and he knew that I was going to pray for him in Jesus' name. And he was okay with that. But um, if that, yeah, so if, if they're choosing to come to something, it's different than them being forced to go to something. But you can still pray in Jesus' name at a change of command. It's just, you can't evangelize. You can't go up to at a change of command and say, okay, everybody, we're going to have an altar call come forward and accept Jesus now, you know, you can't do that. So uh, some chaplains are very fearful about it though, which which I've noticed, you know, and it's really, it's kind of a fear, you know, you know, it's not from the spirit when it's fear-based, when it's this fear-based narrative of, oh no, I might get a bad recommendation or a bad OER if I say the wrong thing. That's the beauty of being a reserve chaplain. You're like, it's my part-time job. Give me a bad recommendation. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I go once a month. It's not my whole life. So it kind of frees you up to really speak the truth more. Yeah, but that's a great question. Yeah, go ahead. David, we remember when you left a year ago, and obviously at the time, we didn't feel you had any choice. You were going. Now you've been there and you've experienced what you've experienced. If you go back a year and I gave you a choice, would you still go? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I would. I mean, one of the hardest parts was Rachel and I being separated. And honestly, one of the verses that I really clung to while I was gone is this really weird verse in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, those of you who are married should live like you're single. (laughs) And I'm like, what does that even mean? But what he says is because the time of the Lord is at hand. And really, it's this eternal mindset, right? Jesus, come back. So don't worry about pleasing your spouse all the time because you have another spouse. You have Jesus. And so that was really the hardest thing was us being separated. And that was really the only reason why I wouldn't want to do it again was because being away from her. But if I had the choice, I think I would still go. I like to tell people I was voluntold. (laughs) I was voluntold. (laughs) Any other questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's been all well reported so much suicide mm-hmm. and people who have served and mental health problems. What can we do mm-hmm. to help with people who have returned mm-hmm. who suffer or are having difficult times? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, one big way uh, right off the bat I could tell you is pray for every soldier that returns. Because... Just being a reservist who was not really in combat too much, returning has been harder than I thought it was going to be. It's been hard. You know, I did life with people 24-7 for a year. I shared my holidays with them. I told them their family members were dead. Like, I had spent holy moments with these people. And then it's just over. Active duty is a little different because you go back to a base and you still have some support. You're still with your same friends. But a lot of these guys I'll never see again. And what I realize is the reintegration is not as easy as I expected it to be. Um, I've been incredibly lonely, to be honest. And I'm married. You know, I have my beautiful wife who's with me, and yet I still feel a lot of loneliness. And so I think about, like, my chaplain assistant. He's a single guy. He's deployed maybe three or four times now. And he's come back home, and there's, like, nothing for him. So I think a huge way is prayer, That's probably one of the main ways right there. But I mean, also, there are organizations that support vets well, as you probably know about. I mean, one would be uh, the Wounded Warrior Project, which I know they've had some stuff come out lately that was not the best. I encourage you, though, if you want to support vets, do your own research, because there's a lot of supporting companies that not many dollars actually get to helping soldiers, you know, so you can kind of vet them and figure out how you can support well. But I think as the church, really we have an opportunity to love these people who are broken, really broken. Because, you know, all the counseling, all the therapy, you can give them all that stuff, but really what they need is Christ. He's the only one that can really bring that newness of life when you return, you know? Yeah, go ahead. Did you have any interaction with any local churches or local groups? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Kuwait is an Islamic country. There are no Christians in Kuwait. There's no Kuwaiti Christians. It doesn't exist. If you're a Kuwaiti Christian, you're wrong. It's illegal. You can't do it. But there is a sanctioned church in Kuwait that's mostly for um, foreigners who have come to work in Kuwait and uh, live there. So there's like 50 different languages uh, preached at this church in Kuwait. So we went and we took part in a few of these services And um, it was very interesting to me. It was a really good reminder for me because there was no service of white Westerners. And I was like, oh yeah, like most of the Christians in the world, they don't look like me. And they don't even really believe like me. I went to one service and it was a Hindi service. And it was funny because there was two women pastors on stage, one was speaking in Hindi and one was translating into English. And they were on fire, they were going crazy. Like they were preaching with such authority and it was a good reminder for me that the kingdom of God is much bigger than I really think it is. And so we went to that church a few times and actually, I probably shouldn't tell you guys this, I know this talk's being recorded, hopefully I don't go to jail for this, but. um, (laughs) One of my coworkers in Kuwait, an Islamic guy, one of the civilians that worked for my unit, he lived in an apartment complex and in his apartment complex, there was a lot of Filipinos. And the Filipinos, they wanted Bibles. But you can't find Bibles in Kuwait. You can't just order a Bible in Kuwait. It doesn't work that way. And so he's like, Chaplain, like, can you give me Bibles to give my neighbors? And I really probably shouldn't have done that. But I did it anyway. And I regret nothing. So um, I gave him like 30 Bibles to give out to everybody that lived in his building. And it was really funny to me because it was this Islamic guy who cared for his Christian neighbors and he wanted them to have Bibles. It was like kind of mind blowing to me, but it was a cool opportunity for uh, me to be able to witness to him and really kind of almost a witness of him to me in a way. I was like, that's a really solid move you got there. So um, yeah, but I don't know if that answers your question, but every country I was in is is an Islamic country. And so um, highly regulated churches in all those countries. And some of them have, all of them have underground churches some have underground churches that are more heavily persecuted than others. You know, like there are Christians in Afghanistan, but very few, very few. Yeah, go ahead. What was your, uh, can you talk about your experience with Muslims and how it changed your perspective on Christianity? Yeah, that's a great question, great question. <laughs> yeah, when people ask me what it was like to live for a year in the Islamic world, I tell them I learned to be a much better Christian. Because there's a couple things that Muslims get well. One of the things they get well is this idea of submission or surrender. Islam itself, it means to submit. That's what it means. And one of the beautiful things about Islam is Muslims get on their face five times a day and they declare, you're God and I'm not. And there's a humble submission that comes in that. And I think there's something that we could learn as Christians from that submission to God. Now, it's wild because some of their submission, I think, comes out of fear, whereas our submission comes out of love. But I mean, the Hebrew Bible does talk about fear. And so, you know, I've kind of thought about this idea of fearing God, and it's not all unhealthy. It's not... Oftentimes when we think of fear, we think about like an angry, unhealthy father or some other type of fear. But with God, he's perfect. He's not going to judge you wrongly. You know, he's always right. And so fearing him is different than fearing a person. But yeah, interacting with Muslims really showed me that. I have one story. Uh, I was in a shower trailer. So in Camp Air Kuwait, uh, there's the barracks. And then there's shower trailers about a half mile from the barracks. So you got to walk a half mile through the heat to get to these trails. So you're sweating by the time you get to the shower. Then you're sweating by the time you get back. You're always sweating. But one day I was walking to the shower trailer and I was miserable. I was complaining to God. And uh, I was just like, Lord, why do you have me here? This place is miserable. I want to go home. And I got into the shower and I got complaining to God in the shower. And I heard these voices while I was in the shower. And it was two people singing in Arabic And I was like, who's singing in Arabic right now? And I was listening to the song they were singing. It was beautiful. It's like, this is a beautiful song. So I got out of the shower to investigate and it's these two guys who are cleaning the bathroom trailer. I cannot think of a more miserable job in the world than cleaning a bathroom trailer in Camp Arifjan, Kuwait after dirty, stinky soldiers, right? And these guys are in this shower trailer and they're worshiping God. They're singing a worship song and I'm standing by the sink and I'm shaving. I'm just watching these guys and then they start to talk to each other and they're laughing and they have joy. They had more joy than I had seen in months. And I left the shower trailer thinking, you know, God, I want what those guys have. They have way more joy than me and their lives are miserable. Like they get paid a dollar a day to clean bathrooms in Kuwait. And in that moment, it was like God was saying, you have a lot to learn. You have a lot to learn. And so, yeah, I learned what it looked like to be surrendered or submitted to God. I think that's one thing that the Islamic world does well. Yeah. Any other questions? Pua. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the interesting thing is I've had some people ask me, well, you know, now that you're back, do you hate those people in Afghanistan? Or are you angry at those people in Iraq? And I'm like, no. Like, God loves these people the same way he loves me. You know, and if anything, I feel more compassion than before. I feel compassion for the soldiers that are stuck over there, and I feel compassion for the people who are stuck there. You know, you kind of get rooted, and you have compassion for everyone. You know. David, yes. we want to make your re as easy for you as possible. Yeah. So I think we can all commit to praise. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So it'll be as joyful as you're just expressing. Amen. Thanks, Joan. Yeah, I appreciate your prayers. I was praying the other day about being lonely, and God was like, this was a wake-up call. I was like, Lord, I'm lonely. Take away my loneliness. And as I'm praying, I get a picture of my wife, and my wife is in our old apartment in Stanford, and she's alone, and she's crying. And the Lord was like, you think you know what it's like to be lonely? Your wife was alone for a year without you. And in that moment, I was like, oh, shoot, Lord, like, forgive me. I'm such a wimp, you know. But if anybody can understand loneliness and she has compassion, it's my wife, you know. And I'm really learning that from her. I really am. Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. Just on a lighter note, Mm -hmm. the packages that you receive, they help? Oh my gosh, so helpful. You have no idea. Yeah, so you don't have access to like anything. You can't buy stuff there. Like there was a really tiny PX on the base with beef jerky and some candy bars in it. And so you guys would send me these care packages and the beautiful thing is, you're my church. And when we got these care packages, I was able to say to my soldiers, this is my church and they love you the same way they love me cuz they're my family and guess what they're your family. And so I would go down to these miserable places like I had some of these soldiers that worked at the port in Kuwait this port is so miserable. They they would unload the ships and these vessels are like 140 degrees inside. They're so hot and these guys are so miserable. And so I would go down to these guys and they had this little tiny office building right next to the vessel and I would bring a bunch of care packages down there and we would open them and it would be like Christmas. These guys would be going nuts. They'd be like, wow, look at these chocolate covered almonds. Your church is so generous. <laughs> and the gifts were so good. It was like cliff bars and like classy stuff. I was like, yeah, our church is in Greenwich, that's why, but, uh, but um, oh yeah, there's a few pictures of it, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it so much. That was the night shift by the way. Uh, those guys worked overnight so I would go visit them once a week and, do a Bible study with them. Yeah, but they loved it. They loved the care packages. What a tangible way to share the love of Christ with people. Yeah. Yeah, you can just roll those pictures if you want, Matthew. You can just let them roll in the background. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Any other questions? (laughs) (laughs) My blood is so thin. I was freezing this morning. I was like, oh no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Will you be continuing your service or what are your plans for you? Oh man. Yeah, that's a loaded question. That's a hard one. Um, so I, I when I raised my command and I commi- and I hand and I commissioned in the army, what I didn't know is my recruiter did not tell me the truth. He didn't tell me that I owed the army eight years. So um, so my eight years are up July seventeenth of 2021, but who's counting, right? Um, So uh, I have the opportunity to resign my commission, July 17th, 2021, or I could stay in the reserve. And so I'm really praying for the Lord for wisdom on that. Now I have what's called dwell time, which means because I was deployed for a year, uh, now I get over three years back where they're not allowed to call me back up. So I know I'll have time where I can't get deployed again, but I don't know if I ever want to get deployed again. So I guess that's something you could pray for me. I really loved the ministry and enjoyed it, but yeah, I don't know if I want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great question. Yeah, so I have to decide. When you're an officer, you raise your hand and you commit for life until you resign it. Yeah, it's not like an enlisted soldier yet. Go ahead, Nathan. This question comes from my nine-year-old daughter, <laughs> uh, who here now and had uh, one question on the line the whole time you were over there. hmm This is a great question actually, great question. There's actually a reason for it. There's a reason for it. So um, in the army, there's all these rules, right? The law that you follow. So the army is all about regulations. For example, when I see people who are texting on their phones and walking, I wanna yell at them because in the army, you're not allowed to text and walk. There's all these, (laughs) there you go, there's all these rules. But then there's all these unspoken rules around the rules. So one of the unspoken rules is, uh, officers, respectable officers, do not have mustaches. You don't have a mustache. Now it's not a regulation, but it's an unspoken rule. And so because of my rebellious spirit, now because my role as a chaplain is a heavy one, What I recognized is my mustache was a great way to break the ice. Because soldiers saw right away, oh, this man of God, he doesn't take himself too seriously. You know, he likes to have fun. He doesn't really care that much. And it was a great way to open up conversations with people. And my soldiers took polls. They were like, a bunch of them hated it. He needs to shave that thing. A bunch of them loved it. You know, it's kind of like the way the church is being torn in half right now about the mustache. But it was really just this icebreaker because people knew that I wasn't necessarily adhering to all the rules of the in crowd. So that's kind of the reason why I have the mustache. And that's why I still have it. (laughs) Because now my commander hates it. I'm just kidding. Great question, Nathan. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a huge difference, I would say, right off the bat. Um, I traveled to northern Iraq in March, and I was at a base really close to Syria, and a lot of special forces soldiers were stationed on that base. So the special forces guys, they don't follow any of the rules, by the way, because they don't have to. They all have beards. They don't wear any rank or name tapes. Their uniforms are just blank. (laughs) But I went... And I, I knew that the, there was only one chaplain on this base in Iraq. And so when I, before I, uh, I left to go up there, I, I emailed him and I said, do you want me to do your chapel service? And he was like, yeah. So I went up there and um, I arrive at this chapel service. And lo and behold, there's all these special forces soldiers at the chapel service. And so I preach my message and I do the Lord's Supper and they take communion. And I start talking to some of these guys just after the message And some of these special forces soldiers had a really solid faith. It was incredible to me because these guys are always doing crazy stuff. You know, these are the guys that go behind enemy lines and do all this wild stuff. But I would say when you talk to soldiers who have a faith, you recognize that they have a firm foundation. And what I mean by that is that they're not quite as affected by trauma. And They're not actually as affected also by making bad decisions or doing the wrong thing. Because a lot of soldiers, what you see is if a soldier has no faith, their identity all gets wrapped up in their rank. And there's some problems with that. One of the problems with your identity being wrapped up in your rank or your soldiering is when you leave the military, your identity's gone. This is part of the reason why we have such a bad problem with suicide because these men and women have been taught that all their value is contingent upon that rank. And then when you no longer have it, you feel like you have no value. And so the difference, I think, would be that these men are rooted and established and grounded. You know, I was doing a gateway brief one day, another group of infantry soldiers there. At the end of the gateway brief, this young man comes up to me named Gabe. And he goes, Pastor David? And uh, it was Gabe Cutter. He's married to Valerie Shaw. You guys know that? <laughs> and he was leaving for a combat deployment. And it was awesome because he and I spent, he's a platoon leader, he's 22 years old, in charge of maybe 30 young men. And uh, we spent the next three days together because he was on my base and we prayed together every night and we read scripture and his feet were firmly established. That's a young man right there that I'm not worried about, you know? And there's a confidence, a strength that comes in really being rooted, in being rooted in something other than your uniform or your rank or your title or any of that. And so, yeah, you can definitely tell with soldiers of faith. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. That was really a God thing talking to Charlene. Yeah. And Valerie, that Gabe was really praying mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. No, they hadn't told me, yeah. Nothing. I just think that's the most amazing story. Amen. Any other questions? Yeah. Are the other Catholics all Christians? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So, um, There's five different faith groups represented in the army chaplain corps. There's Christian chaplains, which would be Roman Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox chaplains. Uh, There's Jewish chaplains, which there's a few of them. There's Islamic chaplains, which there's a few of them. There's Hindu chaplains, which there's very few of them. And then there's Buddhist chaplains, which there are very few of them as well. And so, Part of your job as a chaplain is to perform or provide religious support for your soldiers. So I can't provide religious support for an Islamic soldier because I'm not an imam. You know, I can't. I'm not going to do Juma prayer with them. I can't do that. And so part of my job is connecting those people with an Islamic chaplain that you know. And so I have a good friend who's an Islamic chaplain who came through the base. And um, he was there during Ramadan. And I made sure I dragged my soldier to their prayer time every night. Because he said he wanted to be devout and I was going to make sure he was going to be a man of his word. So I, the Christian chaplain, dragged my Islamic soldier to his uh, uh, iftar dinner and then prayer time after. So yeah, you perform or provide. And the army is a very secular organization as you can imagine. And so it really kind of breaks down the walls in faith groups. Like you just know, like the rabbi is not my enemy. He's just another man of faith that I can pray with. You know, the Imam's another man of faith that I can pray with. And you know, they care for your soldiers and they know you'd care for their soldiers. And so there's a lot of camaraderie in the chaplain corps, which is a beautiful thing. The one hard part is you always have a few groups that don't want to be involved in the camaraderie. And the majority of chaplains in the Army are Southern Baptists. And Southern Baptists, they're the ones that know everything, so they don't necessarily want to be involved. Um, Like when I showed up on the base, there was like five different Southern Baptist services in Kuwait. And there was one other Christian service. So the Southern Baptists ran all the services. And they had a bunch of them because they didn't get along with each other. So they wanted to do all these other services. But um, there was one service that was a a Lutheran uh, service. And there was two female chaplains in it. Just two female chaplains, both young, both new chaplains. And so I arrived and there was this really cool Southern Baptist service that I knew I could be a part of with all these cool young male chaplains. And I'm praying and the Lord's like, no, you got to go to that one. And so I went to the Lutheran service. So I, was, I helped out at the Lutheran service for uh, my time in Kuwait. But yeah, so there are different faith groups. And yes, chaplains do support one another and they do pray for one another. yeah. But there's over 200 faiths recognized by the army. You have like Jedi soldiers and all this other stuff. You have pagan soldiers. Like I had a soldier asked if he could make a sacrifice to Thor. Yeah, you have to deal with some unorthodox beliefs. But the beauty of dealing with that is um, you can be around people with unorthodox beliefs. It doesn't mean you have to have them. You can interact with people who have weird thoughts, weird faith doesn't mean you have to have that. And, you know, they know that you're a Christian and they're okay with it. They see the cross on my uniform every day. They would know what they were going to get from me. You know, the guy's going to come talk to me about Thor. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. So, (laughs) oh, man. Any other questions? Thanks, (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate it. Well, I'm just going to pray for you guys and bless you as you go. And if you want to linger and talk to me, have any other questions, feel free to come up and ask. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I am so blessed to be a pastor here at Stanwich for this to be my home, and I'm so grateful to be back. So Lord, I thank you for my church, and God, I thank you for each person that's a member of this body, this family. Lord, I pray as we go out to our respective places of mission that we would be reminded that you have called us to be your gospel agents today. That, Lord, you have called us to be missionaries in our neighborhood. So, Lord, may we be inspired by the love we've received by you and show it to everyone we see. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you all for coming. God bless you. you. Thanks.